This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of May 11th, 2015, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 227 of Defender Radio. What do a Buddhist monk in Vancouver and the owner of a sanctuary farm in central Ontario have in common? Compassion. This week, we're talking with Shifu Jihan, a teacher of Buddhism in Vancouver who's helping host VSAC 2015 for World Peace this Saturday. We'll also connect with Brenda Bromfman, the founder of Wishing Well Sanctuary in Bradford, Ontario. With surprising similarities, Jihan and Brenda spoke with Defender Radio about the role of animals in their lives, how they found their way to peace and compassion, and how they hope to leave the world a little more beautiful. Let's get started. Shifu Jihan, a Taiwanese-born Canadian, didn't set out to become a teacher of Buddhism. But after a long and winding road, that is where he found himself. As part of the United Sangha, Jihan is playing a major role in Visak 2015 for World Peace, a celebration of the birth of the Buddha, an event that the fur bears are proudly supporting. He joined Defender Radio to talk about Buddhism, Visak, and why he has compassion for all life. I think to start, um, a good place would be to learn a bit more about uh, yourself and your community. It's, it's something that I think a lot of people... Um, and, and I speak of this out of, of uh, admitted ignorance of your belief system. But a lot of people, I think, have a limited understanding of Buddhism and the, the way it's practiced in modern Canada. Uh, so if we could talk a little bit about that, just who you are and what's, um, what you do. Well, uh, I have been a uh, Buddhist monk since 1993. So um, has been 22 years. And uh, I actually grew up in, uh, I, I was born in Taiwan, but I grew up in Vancouver. And so I became a monk after I graduated from uh, University of British Columbia. And uh, was your uh, education in uh, religion or in spirituality of any kind? No, at that time, uh, back in 1990s, um, there was no religious uh, course or n- neither, nor comparative religion at UBC. Okay, so what, what so, were you taking? Um, I was in economics. Really? Economic major, yes. <laughs> so, I, so I have to ask now, uh, how did you go from, you know, an economic major at a, a significant university to the life of a Buddhist monk? Well, um, I was able, we, we immigrated to Canada in Vancouver and lived in Vancouver um, when I was uh, 13 years old. And um, at that time, um, there was only one um, Buddhist temple in town. And there were there were no uh, monastics, no monks, and but we still went there every Sunday to have a vegetarian meal. That was the only place we could have a vegetarian meal. Wow. So yeah, and then so my myself and my sister, you know, with my my mother took us, and uh, we um, went there and uh, pray and uh, practice with the uh, at at the temple and have our vegetarian meal there. And then uh, just as you uh, matured and as you, you sort of experienced more life, you found uh, your path into Buddhism as, uh, as a, I guess, a full lifestyle? Yes, uh, pretty much so. Um, because uh, in, back in 1983, then uh, monastics from Asia 
started coming to Vancouver and then they all spoke uh, Mandarin. So um, we started having more exposure uh, to uh, a Buddhist teaching. And um, the, uh, at that time, there was, uh, you cannot find anything in English, uh, you know, about Buddhism. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a very fascinating uh, journey that you've taken. And um, we'll, we'll uh, come back a bit, I think, to sort of the overall uh, Buddhism uh, or teachings of Buddha, I should say. I, again, I, uh, I apologize for my own ignorance on the subject, but I do find it uh, very fascinating. Uh, and hopefully you can help me with that. Uh, let's, let's talk first, though, about the... Um, the event that is coming up, it's on, uh, it's in May, and I don't have that note in front of me because I'm not very professional. Um, <laughs> but uh, tell us You're about... You're being too humble, too <laughs> humble. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the, uh, what's the event? And okay. uh, all I know right now is it's being hosted by the United Sangha, I believe. Yeah. Is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, Sangha. Sangha, Sangha. okay. Yes. Um, and it's to celebrate Visek. Yeah. Uh, we actually pronounce it uh, Vesak. Vesak, okay. Vesak, yeah. The event is called uh, Vesak 2015 for World Peace. And it's going to take place on a Saturday, May 16th, uh, from 1 to 7 p.m. And the place uh, is going to be uh, Italian Cultural Center. Um, and then there's the address, uh, 3075 uh, Slocan Street in Vancouver. And it's going to be free admission. Excellent. Yes, I saw that. And donations are going to be split um, amongst uh, the local relief organization. So it's uh, Mount St. Joseph Hospital and the Buddhist Global Relief. The uh, area Sangha members, who I imagine will also be using it for outreach, and then a bit of uh, a pool for next year's planning, which seems very uh, honorable in terms of uh, how that will be uh, allocated. Yeah, and we actually including one more item now. Um, uh, we will also be raising money for Nepal um, for the uh, uh, the earthquake that happened. Yeah, so we had an had, we had an emergency meeting um, uh, yesterday to, and then we decided that we're gonna have uh, something it would collect for the event. Excellent. Um, and I to talk a bit more about the event. So my understanding is that the annual event is the celebration of Buddha's of the Buddha's birth, uh, yes. as it's written. Right. Um, now, I, I, I'm going to ask, and again, this is, I, I was born and raised in an agnostic family, okay. um, and my ex-wife was Catholic, so I started going to Midnight Mass with her family for Christmas. And every time I'd go, I, I'd be told to stand up, sit down, kneel, stand up, sit down, kneel, uh, okay. as appropriate, don't eat the cookie, um, and put five bucks in the jar. <laughs> um, now, I, I imagine, and based on who I've seen attending this event, uh, yeah. including the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals, it's a much more welcoming atmosphere. So what, what's the day going to be like for folks who aren't familiar with this celebration or with Buddhism? Well, um, usually we start the event with a uh, purification ceremony where we will actually um, create a, um, um, purify the place and prepare for a uh, a day of spiritual activity, right? And then afterwards, um, we will um, guide people by um, explaining what you know what it is what we're going to be doing, um, and then uh, we'll guide everyone in the ritual. Now everything will be um, uh, primarily in English, so there won't be a lot of bowing, you know, sitting, getting up. No, it's actually <laughs> uh, it's very comfortable. We're going to make it uh, very accessible to the uh, mainstream 
uh, public. Excellent. And um, it, uh, the little I do know of Buddhism is, is it's a very peaceful and beautiful uh, way of being. Um, and I, I think it'll be a wonderful environment for people to come and learn more. Uh, but while I have you, something that we deal with regularly, as you know, in our work is, is a lot of aggressiveness, a lot of violence. Um, and we have trouble as individuals and as a collective in managing that within ourselves. So when we see violence being done to animals, we see violence being done to other people, um, we get angry and there's a lot of confusion again sort of in how we should be managing that anger what does your uh, religion which is one of peace and um, internal guidance teach in regards to when you see violence responding to it in a, an appropriate manner um well first of all the basic premise uh for anger um, you know and then putting into context is that um, anger no one else can actually make us angry that is the basic premise it is us who allow ourselves our own anger to arise and it's so um the uh, buddha um uh, used to say um uh, as a metaphor for this when someone is angry at us and say angry words and then we get back to them with angry words. We are like grabbing, uh, we are grabbing hot coal and then throwing it at them. So the person, the first person that we burn is actually ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anger cannot re uh, resolve anger. It is actually through loving kindness that we can resolve anger. Now, and that uh, that is something I personally believe as well, uh, even though we are in many ways worlds apart. Um, and that's something I try to live by. Yeah. And it's not always easy, right. uh, as everybody knows. Um, so how is it that uh, uh, the Buddha teaches this, this movement from anger with ourselves and hurting ourselves and responding to it to allowing that, that love, compassion, and peace into ourselves? Well, first of all, it is the one of the practice um, is to create a what we call a buffer zone in your mind. Uh, most of the time, um, when someone else um, like uh, say aggressive words towards us, uh, we usually uh, react automatically. You know, uh, with anger, we react uh, angrily. And then, when when we actually develop and then uh, um, create a buffer zone, then we actually allow a space where we can uh, just observe before reacting okay so um the 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 truth is nobody likes being angry usually after right after we get angry at someone we feel tired we don't like that that feeling of burning hot sensation within right so um if we are able to pay attention to our mind through our own breathing and then that is the uh, basic practice of meditation and then uh, we realize that I, we can actually um, hold off this anger that is actually uh, ready to spring out and just just uh, keep it there for a while. And then it actually it will subside. So it's it's allowing it to exist and then allowing it to leave. Yeah. Effectively. Okay. At that, the beginning, you know, yeah. The basic um, uh, mechanism at the beginning is not allow it to spring out right away. Mm -hmm. And then when you observe anger, 
they realize that it's uh, it's pointless because it does not solve any th- situation. It actually makes the situation worse. Yeah, and I I agree um, from a practical standpoint. Again, without say uh, a religious or spiritual upbringing, um, it, it took me a lot longer, I think, to come to those conclusions uh, with myself. But it's interesting to me because that is something that now. We are hearing from psychologists, from spiritual uh, guidance uh, individuals, and uh, even other religions share some of those basic tenets. Why do you think it is that humans, uh, as a species and as a culture and a society, regardless of religion or, or politics, seem drawn to this concept of wanting peace and wanting calm and wanting uh, love in our lives? Uh, because um, hatred and war... Uh, does not make us feel good. And, and nobody likes to suffer, right? We can all, all agree on that. And we all are supposedly are seeking after happiness, right? But if we, um, uh, the starting point is wrong, how can we reach the happiness that we all want to achieve? And then, um, so that, that is why we need to re-examine um, the way we, we, we think and the way we act. For example, the uh, Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals um, is doing a wonderful thing, um, calling attention to compassion towards animals. And then, now, um, my understanding of that relationship to world peace is um, human beings um, have the ability of dehumanizing um, the weak. So when we feel that we are the stronger, then um, humans have the tendency to think that, okay, then I have the right to, to decide for the weaker. I have the right to overpower the weaker, to control, to take whatever I want. But once we start to see the animals as equals, as they have the same right to live and, and the same right to happiness as us, then the, the game changes. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, um, again, I just, I find it so fascinating hearing this from you because it is, again, it's the same conclusions that I and uh, many of the people in my life and many of the people I care for have come to, even though we've taken such different paths to get there. Yes, yes. Um, now, uh, uh, back to the event, it, it sounds like it'll be an absolutely wonderful day, and I'm sorry I won't be able to attend. Uh, again, I'm in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, though I might try and do something um, similar on my own. Um, so if people want to learn more about this or get involved with it, how can they do that? Is there a contact point or, or an internet? Yeah, they can go to our website, uh, which is um, unitedsanga.org. Uh, and Sangha, it's spelled S-A N as a Nancy, G-H-A. So unitedsangha.org. That's our website. And even we, uh, Facebook, we have a Facebook page. It's called VASAC2015 uh, Vancouver. To learn more about VSAC 2015, Buddhism in Vancouver, or Shifu Jihan, visit unitedsangha.org or search for VSAC 2015 on Facebook. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. 
Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America's song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Beaver dams help clean water, promote songbird diversity, encourage fish populations, and create better soil and a cleaner environment. Beavers are good for Canada, but will we be good to them? Find out more at FurBearerDefenders.com and give a damn about beavers. This is Defender Radio. In the world of wildlife advocacy, our goal is always to keep wild animals in their natural habitats. But what about the farmed animals who get saved? They end up places like Wishing Well Sanctuary in Bradford, Ontario. Wishing Well is the brainchild of founder Brenda Bronfman, who has created a place that is safe for the animals, and a safe place for people to meet the individuals and learn about a compassionate lifestyle. Brenda joined Defender Radio to talk about wishing well, the animals, and the joy of seeing people feel truly compassionate for the first time. What's the background uh, of the sanctuary? How did it come into existence? Fantasy of mine since childhood. I, um, I mean, I grew up with dogs, so really my first, I didn't even know the word sanctuary, but I knew that I wanted to have a place where we could rescue dogs. And um, so I've always been involved in animal protection in one regard or another. I became involved with the Toronto Humane Society, and that's where I learned about animals raised for food and learned quite a lot about the issues. And it seemed to me that uh, there are far too few spokespeople that are, are working on behalf of animals that are raised for food. So I thought, well, this is a good niche for me. As, and as I grew older, of course, I, you know, I, I have my own children and I, I love kids. And I believe deeply in the power of education. So I just, it's just a perfect marriage and, uh, between, you know, animals, kids and the environment and, and, and being out in the country. Um, I thought this is something I can do. And it's the upside of animal protection. So I think that all of us have to know our strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and I, can be overwhelmed as, as many people are with the horror and the abuse and, you know, the suffering that goes on. And it's just the magnitude is so just immense that it's hard to even grapple with that. Um, and so I, I did do some work in, for a while and I, I've seen the abattoirs and, and so forth. And I've, I've done a lot of reading and seen the videos, but this is kind of the upside, right? Which is the happy end when we get to rescue them and bring them here and give them a loving home and, and then, Obviously, I mean, we can't rescue every animal. So we happen to have, actually, we just, a new piglet was dropped off yesterday. <laughs> it was quite a surprise. Somebody was walking up the driveway with a piglet behind them. 
And um, they said they couldn't keep the pig, and could we please take it? So that's a whole other story. But we have, so we now have 65 animals. But, you know, we could have 565. We could have 650 million. And it still would be an infinitesimal drop in the bucket, right? I mean, there's billions per annum that are, are, are brutally raised and slaughtered. So it's, it's eminently clear to me Absolutely. That while I adore the animals that are here and I, I'm thrilled to rescue whomever we can rescue, that really that's not the key element here. What we absolutely must do is educate people and work with people. Because people are the ones that are going to be able to affect change. Absolutely. Um, and what, what kind of animals do you have at the sanctuary? What's the range of species? Mm, we have horses, we have donkeys, cows, steers, ducks. Uh, chickens, we have a rooster, we have goats, we have pot-bellied pigs, we have the huge pigs, those are the ones typically that, you know, if people eat pork, the, the huge, they're American land-raised pigs, um, and sheep. These are quite a lovely range of, of wonderful animals. <laughs> um, now, one thing you and I talked about uh, prior to our interview here today was mm -hmm. um, the, the difference between the two sides of animal protection, animal welfare whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah. So for me, it's wildlife. So it's a lot of uh, policy, a lot of news type stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And for you, it is the farmed animals. Yes. And the one thing that you're able to do that I'm not able to do is cuddle. So I know we're lucky that way. <laughs> yeah. So when our association goes out and we, we build a flow device and we protect a family of beavers from trapping, mm -hmm. the end of the day, we walk away. Yeah. And leave them wild. And that's well, it would very, be antithetical to your goals to, to do otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but you're able to, to cuddle with all of these animals. And one of the things I see amongst my friends who are involved in every aspect of animal welfare from, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a veterinarian to an activist to uh, professional writers to people who are simply, you know, vegan or vegetarian and have a great uh, amount of compassion in them. Yeah. They want to come to Wishing Well and meet the animals. Why do you think people find that to be so rewarding emotionally? Oh, I think that's a very good question. And I think there's, uh, there are probably multiple layers of answers to that. But I think certainly that on, uh, one, one thing I know I've heard from many people who go to the vigils and, you know, stand at the abattoirs and, and, and bear witness to the animals that are going to be slaughtered is that they, absolutely need a place of peace and love and respite so where they can come and be with happy, healthy animals and see the upside because what they're doing is just so painful and, and to, to witness so much suffering is obviously, what do, we, what do we do with that? How do we hold that inside of ourselves? So they love coming here and they do get to hang out with the animals and, and hug them and pat them, as you say, and give them the, the piggies have lovely snouts for kissing. <laughs> and... Um, so that's, that's at one level. I also think that there are, we have many people here who um, have many challenges in their own lives in, in any number of different ways. And animals, as we all know, anyone who's, who's shared their home with an animal or who has so, some kind of relationship with an animal understands that there is non-judgment. They, they accept us exactly as we are. It doesn't matter what we look like, what we smell like, you know, they just accept us and they love us unconditionally. And that's a very challenging thing to find in the world, right? Even amongst people that we love. 
So I think that uh, people really appreciate and um, and can feel much, much better when they can just sit with a goat and, and brush him or her um, and, and snuggle up with an animal. And it's, it's just, it's very rewarding and it, it's kind of an affirmation of, of our existence and our presence and that we're connected. It's that, that thing of, that feeling of connection and that's something that the sanctuary is, is presses, you know, as, as a very important part of our mandate is to inspire people and to encourage people to, to consider, if they haven't, the connection that we all share with, with each other, with people, with animals, and with the environment. And, um, yeah, no, I think that uh, just sitting quietly with an animal that accepts you and, and loves you, no matter what, no matter what your history, no matter, as I said, no matter what you look like, <laughs> that uh, it's, it's a very special relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, something I'm curious about, uh, and, and there may be nothing here, but I'm going to ask anyway, because uh, okay. that's my job. Um, <laughs> when people come to the sanctuary, I, I, I imagine you've kind of got people in two groups. You've got the folks who are vegan or vegetarian, who are aware of the sanctuary and what's going on and why the animals are there. And you've got people who are either on the fence or unaware, I would think of the the whole concept of vegetarianism, veganism, of animal rights, um, and the need for a sanctuary. What is the difference in their reactions when they first get there? I mean, how do people sort of from either side of that respond to sort of being introduced to this barnyard of, of animals who really are just, they're, they're happy to love them? Mm-hmm. Interesting question. I think that uh, the people who are already vegan particularly vegan as opposed to vegetarian, but those who are on the path, right? It's a continuum. It's not all or nothing, I don't believe. So who are, who are already thinking about the issues have already have a, a sensibility within themselves and they kind of have an expectation of, of a connection and a relationship with the animal that is born to be true when they spend time with that animal. That, that expectation is not necessarily there for those who come here for whatever reason, they, they may think we're a petting zoo, right? They want to come with their kids. Um, and we talk to them, the difference about, you know, between a petting zoo and a sanctuary, for instance. And, and we are not here to proselytize. So while it's a very important thing to do for others, we don't proselytize. But we do share with them how much we are alike as opposed to any, any smaller differences that exist between humans and, and other animals. And... Um, I think that what's exciting for me anyway is when people it like it it just dawns on them. They suddenly say, Oh my god, they have friends, oh they have feelings. Wow, these you know, look at them in their eyes and there's a there's an awakening that happens. Now it doesn't happen with everyone. I, I would I would be lying if I said it did, but it does happen with many, many people here, most people. It, and it's it's you can see just just how it dawns on them that, wow, these are all individuals, as are we. And perhaps we need to contemplate their lives differently and how we share this, this earth with them. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, that to me is the most exciting. The other is everybody you know, feels good and they love spending time with the animals. But when you have a dawning of an awareness, that's really exciting. And, we, and that happens from uh, children that come here. We had a boy that came and, and his favorite food was bacon. This was during a March break camp. 
and we were asking everyone what their favorite foods were, and he said bacon, and that's fine. You know, we went around the group, but he fell in love with one of our pot-bellied pigs, and on the second day, which was very fast, he came up to me and said, I will never eat another thing from a pig again. Hmm. So it's just, it's, it's a thrill uh, to be able to, we're almost like Sherpas, you know, like mentors, <laughs> right? We can help them up, you know, along the path. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's very exciting. So we're delighted and honored to be able to do this. It certainly sounds like an absolutely beautiful moment to be a part of. Um, it is, absolutely, yes. Um, and, and a lot different than just getting yelled at by uh, the fur industry on a daily basis. But um, <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things, I don't know that people... Oh, we do have farmers yelling at us, so... Oh, well, that's... We, know, we, the... we all have our own, uh, yeah, our own nemeses. <laughs> yes. Um, now, one of the things I don't think... People generally realize, whether we're talking about wildlife rehabilitation or a mm-hmm. sanctuary for, for farm animals like you have, yeah. is the immense costs behind it, uh, particularly when you've got large herbivores who eat a lot of food and require yes, they do. veterinary care. <laughs> We, we've encouraged them to eat a little less, but they're not they're not so willing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mom tried that on me when I was a kid, and it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did not go well for anybody. But uh, what kinds of things can people be doing to help support uh, your sanctuary, or you know, we as we have listeners from across the country in the United States, sanctuaries in their communities? What what can people do to really make a difference for the animals here? Oh, well, there are many things. Um... Certainly, I think most sanctuaries have a sponsorship program, as do we. So we have all our animals are available for sponsorship. So you pay a certain amount per month, and we send out a certificate. And, you know, it's kind of a feel-good thing, and they, they then feel connected both with that animal and then with this sanctuary, as I believe they would with any sanctuary. Um, uh, volunteering is a huge thing. Uh, we are... Absolutely. This is not a platitude. You know, we, people say, you know, we couldn't do it without you. And it sounds like a platitude, but we absolutely could not do what we do without the amazing volunteers that we have. So spending your time, a little bit of sweat equity uh, can go a long, long way. I mean, of course, everything, has, you know, feeding them and cleaning out their stalls is an absolute necessity. But beyond that, there are other things that, you know, everybody wants to do to, to make their, their, their land better, make, make the space better for the animals, give them enrichment and so forth. So volunteerism is a huge, huge asset. Um, and I, I, I probably, I don't know if I should have said this first or not, but I thought I would just jump in at the easiest level, but certainly in terms of their food choices, uh, that's really how we're going to make a big, big difference in the world. And uh, if we can get somewhere along the continuum, maybe, you know, the meatless Mondays are, are quite familiar to most people. If we can choose a plant-based diet, even one day a week, and then maybe move it to two days a week, we're not only helping our own health, but obviously we're helping the animal's health. And certainly the whole environment, it, you know, benefits from that. And it feels really wonderful to, certainly if you are working with animals or you're, you're, you're like our volunteers, if I would be hard-pressed, for instance, to look into the eyes of a cow if I was eating, you know, their cousins. Like, I couldn't do it. So there's a certain level of, of um, I don't know, just that your actions fit, you know, your integrity and your actions all kind of flow together. And that's very powerful. So, I mean, in terms of, like, really making a difference in the world, never mind for one sanctuary as opposed to another, uh, I would say it's your diet. 
but certainly, uh, and frankly, uh, donating money. <laughs> forgot about that. The most important thing. Uh, <laughs> funny how I forgot that. Yeah, your board's going to be mad at you if you forget to say that. No, I know, I know. Uh, unfortunately, it's um, it's one of those things that you know it's challenging to talk about, and we'd all like to think that you know puppies and unicorns and lollipops are all you know, and we could we could live and and feed everybody and save everyone on on goodwill alone. But the costs are, are, as you said, tremendous. I had no idea when I started the sanctuary, really. I mean, I had a sense that it would be costly, but I had no idea. And there's a cascade of costs, you know, because it's not just feeding them and looking after them. But uh, in this climate, anyway, we need to add high... Well, we have to put in water lines, of course, so they can have water in their troughs. But uh, in, in many areas, you need you have to add hydro so that the water doesn't turn to block of ice in the winter. So they, all, they always have to drink, of course. So... There's just it's just an enormous cost, um, and you know invariably you know some machinery breaks down. Um, there's just always something to be done. You know a latch breaks. I mean there's just it's it's ongoing, and so and then of course there are medical bills, and the medical bills can be tremendous if if there's something serious. So obviously the the best thing to do is to try to prevent issues. So we do the best we can to give them the best food and and best sort of medical care. Vis a vis prevention, but we have a pig in the hospital right now. I mean, this is several thousand dollars. Like, you know, it happens, right? And um, so we actually have a separate fund called the Cozy Fund, uh, and people can donate to the Cozy Fund. And I'm sure that other sanctuaries have something similar. If they don't, they, you know, you can put it in a general pot, but vet bills can be, I mean, just even maintaining the animals uh, is hugely expensive. So money, unfortunately, I mean, it's a good thing to have money, but it's, um, yeah, the money goes out much faster than it's coming in so far, but we're planning to change that. <laughs> we're, we're on a trajectory, I hope, as I'm sure everybody hopes for that. To learn more about Wishing Well Sanctuary or donate to their programs, visit wishingwellsanctuary.org. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank our guests, as well as Brad Gates of AAA Gates Wildlife Control, for his ongoing support of this program. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.